Well, are you stained today? What are you talking about? Well, I am, because I think I was talking with somebody, and I had a cup of coffee in my hand, and I was doing this, and I got stained, like I got coffee all over me. So uh, I was just going to throw that out there, because some of you are going to be like, what is that on his shirt? And you're going to be thinking, is that like a new coffee line or something? But it's not, it's not a logo or anything like that. I don't even know. Maybe you can't see it. You can't see it? Okay, so in the front row right here, Wade verifies. He can see it's just stain on my shirt. Okay, it's out of the way. It's all done. There you go. So um, are you stained? No, I wanted to, to at least capitalize on it because the reality is we are stained. And we're going to talk about the gospel today and how we can be cleansed through Jesus Christ. So uh, hopefully that gets us going in that direction and we'll be talking more about what that, takes, what that looks like. I want to start by reading a passage that we're going to be going into, Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 13, and we're going to go all the way to verse 23. Think about it, and as you saw kind of on that video, there's a question there at the end. Are you confused about the gospel? What's the gospel? Now, maybe in, in your life, at times, you've thought that. What is the gospel? What does it look like? Uh, and so if those are questions you may have as we read this passage, you may begin to think, well, now it's even more confusing. And so I hope by the end of our time together this morning, it'll make a lot more sense. And so Matthew seven thirteen through 23, it says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Now be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Um, You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or frigs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I'll announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So that clear it all up for you? Right. Yeah, it makes it a little hard, doesn't it? Well, I'm going to start off. I'm going to have a guy come and share a testimony about what it was like for him at a point in his life. I know his testimony. He shared it before. And he tells us that he was once going to church thinking to himself that he was a believer. And so he's going to fill us in on that story. So, Dan, please come and share with us your story on how you came to Christ. I'll give you a microphone here. I think that works. Are you there? supposed to be green. There we go. All right. Well, as Ryan said, I was one of those kids that I, I don't remember not being in church. Um, my mom was a faithful, is a faithful believer. She's still alive. And uh, she made sure that we were in church. So when I was about 11 years old, she approached me and asked me, do you believe in Jesus? And I said, yes. And we went and talked to the minister and and he asked a few questions that I believe that Jesus died for sins. And I said, yes, and that he was God, yes. And, and so I was baptized at the age of 11. And life went on, as it does, as you grow up and through high school and still attending, you know, church. And uh, I could recite almost all the, 
all the Bible stories and, and knew scripture fairly well. And uh, went away, went two years at BSU and then went up to Moscow and was married uh, my fir- after my first year up there. And we sporadically, my wife Chris and I, attended church up there. And once graduation was done, we moved back to Boise and started attending a church in Meridian that Ryan, Pastor Ryan's uncle, Mel, was the pastor at. And we became members, and uh, I was pretty fluent at the Christian jargon. And something happened. Uh, We had a missions conference, same time of the year that we had ours here. And uh, from that time to up to late September, things were happening in my life that didn't quite comprehend. And uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that, but pastor would give a message, and I thought his finger was just pointing right at me. And I, I just say in my mind, what? what? That's, you know, why are you feeling this way? You're a Christian. And so it kind of went on that way for a couple months, and uh, we had a pastor from that missions conference that spring, and his wife, Jack and Cheryl Shiflett, who were the pastor and wife at Montana Avenue Baptist in Caldwell, felt called to become missionaries. And they came to church. We were the first church that they came to to just share their now um, plans in their life to go on the mission field. And so it was just a simple presentation, and Jack shared his testimony, how he was a bad, big bad Marine and was led to the Lord. And then his wife, Cheryl, shared her testimony, and I was there by myself. My wife was sick. And she just simply shared that about age 11 or 12, she had been baptized. And I thought, oh, that's kind of similar. And about age 21, 22, she realized that it wasn't real. She had been through the motions, kind of had this head knowledge, and realized that she had not applied the truth to herself. Well, they had an altar call. And from her words, it hit me what was wrong. (laughs) Dan did not know Christ. To this day, I felt like there were hands pushing me to go forward, but yet I fought. I still swear there are fingernails in that pew in the back. And I still fought because I didn't want to accept what was going on. Well, what was going on was I didn't know him. Pretty emotional for me, still is today. (laughs) But I had been through all the actions, knew the right words. I knew that Jesus died for sin. I believed he was the son of God. But I never looked in the mirror. I never applied it to myself. And so, at that time, I believed. (laughs) And so, it's been a burden in my heart for people that go to church and don't know him because he is real. There's a difference in just believing and not trusting in what he did for you personally. It's like being at the foot of the cross all by yourself and knowing that he died for you.
Yeah, thank you, Dan. Uh, great story of how we can go through all the motions and still not believe. And I think that's challenging for all of us, uh, especially if you've grown up in the church or maybe you've attended for quite some time and you feel that urge at times like, oh, is this really genuine? Is this real? And so we're going to talk more about that. And that's one of the reasons I wanted Dan to share because that, that makes it really personal, right? We see it lived out in front of us. So let's take a look at this passage together. We're going to go into the first couple verses here, verses 13 to 14, and look at what he has to say. So he says, enter through the narrow gate. Okay, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. Now there are many who will go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. I want to give you a couple images here that I think will help us understand what Jesus is talking about. Because when you and I hear the word gate, we might think of, of a gate to the, our backyard or uh, a gate uh, going into a subdivision or something like this. But I think this was more of what Jesus had in mind when he was talking about gates. And that's the entrance. It could be entrance into a city or in this situation, entrance into the Temple Mount. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can still see remnants of this. You won't see it the way it's drawn here. And this is an artist kind of rendition of it. But we do know that, that there was an archway, and on the southwest part, portion of the wall, there was a, a really massive gate or entrance into the Temple Mount. And then you can go around the other parts of the Temple Mount and see other areas where they had some, some large entrances. So if you were to show up in town, it would look maybe something like this. We'll zoom back out and kind of see more of the Temple Mountain, what it looks like. You could see more of a, of a walkway, a large road going into the Temple Mount. And you would notice, oops, I guess it didn't move forward. Having our glitches this morning here. <clears throat> Tim, I don't know if you can go ahead and move that forward. I'm going to retry this and see what happens. Okay, zoom back out, and you're going to see the, the large entrance there at the corner of the Temple Mount. And then as you look around, you'll start to see other larger entrances. So you've got right below the Temple Mount, you've, or the Temple itself, you've got kind of a large bridge that goes into the wall. And then if you look there, I guess that would be what, on your guys' right uh, you'll see a large staircase going up, and there's another large entrance over there. That's actually an area where Jesus would have done a lot of his teachings, and quite possibly when, when Peter preached the first gospel message, it would have been from those steps. So that's, that's an idea. Um, you can still walk those steps today, by the way. So if you need some motivation to go to Israel, it's, it's a fantastic trip. I would encourage you to do it if you get the opportunity. But if you were to walk into the city and you were to see this Temple Mount, you would probably think, you know what, I'm just going to go up that large staircase. Or I'm going to go down that large road that goes right below the temple because that's where all the roads go. That's where the majority of the people go. It makes sense, right? Why not? Why not just follow where the majority of the people go? And what Jesus does is he challenges people and he says, you see the smaller gates around the side some people do go through those, but not nearly as many as the ones that go through the larger entrances. When you drive into a city, if you were to go from here to Boise, almost all of you, maybe not all of you, but the majority of you would hop on the freeway and go down the freeway and go into the city through the freeway. Now, there are side roads available, right? But the majority of us go the freeway route because that's the way the people go. 
And what Jesus does is he challenges us and he says, that's the wide gate. That's what the world has to offer. But he comes along and he says, I've got something a little, little different. It's going to be a little harder to find. You have to search for it and seek it. But it's the truth. And it's a narrow gate. At least from the world's point of view, it's a narrow gate. Now, you can make too much of that. I think you can make it a big deal and say, oh, that means only a few people can enter. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, it's, it's open for all. He's just saying that there will be a few that actually find it. Kind of like Dan. He could be sitting in a church. He could be listening to it. He can hear the gospel and even know it. But he hasn't believed it. So Jesus starts off this, this teaching. He says, listen, there are, there are many gates out there. There's some narrow gates and there's some wide gates. Maybe you need a little bit more information on what that looks like. And so I have somebody who's going to say it much more eloquently than, than I can say it. And so I'm going to have Ravi Zacharias explain this a little bit more to you. Why is the path to heaven so narrow? Why is it? The path to heaven so narrow. Oh, okay. If God is a loving God, why is the path to heaven so narrow? For the same reason, the law of gravity is just one. You can't have your own law of gravity, and I have my own law of gravity. Truth, by definition, will always be restrictive. If the alternative is taken, that you do not have any restriction to truth, then there's no real distinction between truth and error. Truth will always have its boundaries. But I realize what you're saying beyond that. Your question is really not whether the truth has its boundaries, but why are the boundaries not including so many others who may try so hard and work so hard within their own consciences and so on. So I would just say this to you. Whenever you get a legitimate currency, there will always be those who try to come up with a counterfeit currency. The fascinating thing to me is it is really not narrow. To me, it is so merciful that it would be narrow if I were told how many laws I had to obey in order to get there, how many events I had to observe in order to get there, how much money I had to give in order to get there, what I had to do to break out of a caste system, to climb the ladder, that to me would be narrow. If you take, for example, the pantheistic worldview and the caste system today, where you can do nothing to change why you are born this way, your karmic debt has to be paid and has to be paid and has to be paid. That's narrow. You cannot break free from the shackles of the caste of your birth. The Islamic worldview, to me, is very narrow. You have to observe the five pillars. You have to pray in this direction. You have to give that much. You have to uh, uh, obey, say the creed and the shahada and all. And you have to do the fast of Ramadan. And if you possibly can, you've got, got. Those are very narrow restrictions. To me, when the Lord Jesus says, if anyone comes unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. I don't see that as narrow. I see that as all of a sudden opening the floodgate, the gates of heaven, so that anyone who calls unto him can receive his forgiveness. The narrowness lies in the fact that I cannot manufacture my own truth. God is one. 
And God's provision is for you and for me. And all he's asked of us is to receive that provision. And if I turn my back upon that provision and want to find my own answer, then I am not being admitting to the generosity of God. I'm wanting to become narrow in my own choices. All right, so there he talks about a couple different ideas of what narrow is. He actually talks about the gospel being wide open, right? Uh, But the narrow part of it is that we cannot create our own or manufacture our own gate. And I think that's the point. He hit the nail on the head there. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. We cannot make our own gate, yet the world wants to make its own gate, And so many different ideas, philosophies, religions, beliefs out there have us manufacturing our own way to heaven. It could be good works. It could be like he talks about the Islam faith. It could be other faiths where they they have certain rules and standards you have to follow and so forth to get to heaven. And the vast majority of people believe that's how they get to heaven. In fact, if you were to ask the majority of people today how do you get to heaven? Or what are you going to say to God when you see him face to face as far as why he should let you into heaven? The vast majority of people are going to say, well, it's because I'm good. They'll say, one, maybe if there is a God, I'm good. (laughs) And then they'll say, yeah, it's basically because I'm good. That's what the majority of people, that's the way of the world. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says there's a wide Road. So there's a picture there, and you're going to show, see there that really both roads are the same size, but you have a lot less people go in the one direction than you have the other direction. I think that's the idea, the concept that Jesus is painting for us, the picture he's given us here that we want to see. Now a question comes up, how do we know then which road to go down? And that's what Jesus moves into next when he continues through this passage, and he says in verse 15, be on your guard now against prophets or false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging wolves. So they look like Christians. They play the part. They know what the right things to say. They look very Christian, but you know what? They don't know the gospel, or at least they don't point people to the gospel. They point people to work, so they point people to another kind of teaching instead of the teachings of Jesus Christ. He says, outwardly they look like sheep, but inwardly they're ravaging wolves. We see this played out in Galatians chapter 1. So a church in Galatia, Paul writes to and he says this. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven... And there are people who believe angels have come down and have given them other beliefs, right? Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse beyond him. And as we have said it before, now I say again, two times, okay? One right after the other. You don't see this very often in Scripture here. But look at what he has to say. I'll say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, a curse be on him. People will come and preach and teach something that the God, God of the Bible doesn't teach. They will teach us what Christ has not taught us. Now we need to be aware of that and see that that's false prophets. How do we know it? Well, he goes on, so be on your guard against false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. <clears throat> You'll recognize them now by their fruits. 
Okay. Now you got to take that, you know, allegorically, it's not talking about literal fruit that they're going to be bearing in their gardens or anything like that. Okay. Fruit, what they live out, their works. Okay. He says, you'll know them by the fruit. And then he goes on, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Of course not. Are figs from thistles? Of course not. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. You'll recognize these false teachers by their fruit. And the biggest thing we can look at, if we start to hear or, or, hear or see them or, or have them live in a way that's contrary to what the Bible teaches, that's bad fruit. If they begin to teach something that God doesn't say in his word, that's bad fruit. That's one of the easiest ways to spot. Now, there are those who will try to mislead people, and, and then they start to, to maybe go a different direction. So one of the ways I think we start to see people have bad fruit today is they'll start to say things about, I don't know, the way that, that God has used other people or the way the church has been used over the years, and they'll start to attack the church. That's bad fruit, Right? Jesus Christ, by the way, Jesus Christ died for the church. I'm not talking about involved church. I'm talking about people who place their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the body of Christ. And, and Jesus loves them. Ephesians chapter 6, or 5, excuse me, he talks about how it's the bride of Christ, the church. There are those who will pick apart the church. Jesus' body. That's bad fruit. We've got to be careful with that. You'll recognize false teachers, false prophets by their fruits. Now, one of the ways false prophets seem, or false teachers seem to work really well is with works. What better way to convince people that they need to follow a different path than to say, you know what, faith in Jesus Christ is not good enough. Let's start adding some things to it. It's not just good enough that you, you believe in Jesus. You need to do some other things, and so we'll start to add these other things to it, right? That's been happening for, for many years. And so he warns us about that as we go on here. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, and I think he's talking about the judgment day in the future, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And then look at what he has to say. Then I will announce to them, I never knew from you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's pretty scary. I think that is one of the scariest passages. There's some other scary passages in the Bible, but that one's, that one's pretty scary. Because I think we can all say at some point we'd be like, hey, I, I could be in that same place. I would go to Jesus and I'd say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you? He'd say, yeah, you did. I don't know if these people actually did it or if they're just saying they did it. I have no idea. But I know that they came to Jesus and they said, look, this is what we've done for you. Like Dan, I grew up in the church. In fact, in the last 40 years, I bet you I've probably only missed less than 40 Sundays of church. 
less than one a year. Even when we go on vacations, hey, family, let's go to church. They're like, Dad, it's vacation. I'm like, I know, but you know what? Christ died for the church. If he loves them, we ought to love them too. That's what it's about. You know why I come to church? I don't come to church for myself. I come to church because Christ loves the church. And if he loved the church and he wants me to be like, be like him, I'd love the church too. I don't come thinking to myself, man, I hope somebody's going to help me. I come thinking, I wonder if I'm going to have the opportunity to love on other people today. That's what it's about, right? I come because it's a place that we can gather together and worship our Lord together. What a better place to do that than locally with a body of believers. But you know what? I don't, I don't come to church because I think it's going to give me better standing with God. It's not going to give me a merit badge that I can cover my stain with. Neither is tithing. Neither is any of those other things that I might be able to pull out of my pocket and say, here, God, look what I've done for you. It's not going to do it. Even if I could do miracles, that wouldn't do it. Even if I could prophesy, that wouldn't do it. These people hear, Lord, Lord, look at all we've done. And Jesus says, yeah, depart from me. I don't know you. It's scary. So let's build a couple entrances here. Now in your minds, let's go ahead and put a, a narrow gate over here. There's a door on this side. And here's a door over here on this side. This side, you've got people that are coming to God, and they're on that judgment day, and they're, they're saying this, Lord, the end is here. In fact, if you could summarize the whole message in one sentence, this is what I want to summarize it as. Don't play around. The end game is, is real, okay? I'm not talking about the Marvel game. I know some of you are like, or the Marvel movie. Like, you know. I am playing off of that a little bit. But the end game is real. There is a day, and it says right in there, on that day, on that day we will stand before God our judge. So you're in this doorway, and you're standing there, and you're saying, this is why I'm standing here, because all these great things I've brought to you. Here's my peace offering here. I I went to church, or I did all these rules. I helped people across the street, you know, whatever. And you have all these lists of things that you've done. And God looks at that and says, yeah, sorry, that doesn't work. But over here, you've got this this smaller group of people, and they're coming, and they can't even look to Jesus. They can't even look at him in his eyes. They just look down, and they go, wow, I'm not worthy to even be in the presence of a holy, magnificent, awesome God. All I could do is look down because I know that I'm not righteous. I know that I'm not good. And I'm standing here because God is gracious, and God is good. And that's the only reason I could be in his presence. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. That's the narrow gate. He says very few people will find it. Because so many are, are depending upon themselves and their own works rather than depending on Jesus Christ. The end game's real. It's coming What gate are you walking through? You'll meet Jesus face to face someday. 
1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, it says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This is what he has to say. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to 12. And then he goes on and talks about the 500 and others who witnessed that Christ was indeed alive. Here's the gospel summarized for us to the church in Corinth. He says, this is what we need to believe. Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures for our sins. In this gate, all we have to offer is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. And the reason we come on a Sunday morning to worship and the reason we attend uh, different church, maybe events, or build relationships within the church uh, through multiple different avenues, the reason we do that is because we love Christ and we love his people. And we need encouragement from one another to stay on that path because so many people are trying to pull us off of it. And we ourselves, our own flesh is trying to pull us off of it and say, no, there is something in us that puts us over in this camp so we can say, yeah, we've believed in Jesus, but we're also going to start adding some things so we can maybe feel better about ourselves. Listen, I don't know how you could ever feel better about yourself than just standing over here recognizing that Jesus Christ has made you holy before God. If you have an image of yourself that you just think you're poor and you're wretched and you're wicked and all of that, there is truth in that, but there's also the very fact that Christ came and wiped all that clear and now you stand as one who is holy before God. You are his child. And you get to come into the presence of God because of the work that he's done. Not because of the work that you've done, but because of the work that he's done. So what are you believing in? What are you trusting in? Well, I challenge you to respond with this. Do you agree with God's narrow gate plan? That there's a narrow gate. That there's one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Do you agree with that? Or do you say, well, you know, maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. Listen, if, you're, if you don't think that there's only one way, then you don't agree with what God's word has to say. And so you're trusting in a wider gate. And what he has to say at that is that's the gate that leads to destruction. So I would challenge you and encourage you to agree with him today. Yes, there is only one way. Yes, that is where our faith is. It's in Christ. It's not in myself. It's in Jesus Christ. Many will come. False teachers will come. Try to pull me away. I will even be tempted on my own to look to my own works and religion and all of that to save me. But it's through Christ and Christ alone that we're really saved. If you haven't made that agreement with God, if you haven't said, yes, that's what I believe in, then I would encourage you, like Dan, maybe you feel like you're grabbing onto the back of the chair and you don't want to come forward. And, but, but please do. 
Why leave this place doubting your faith in Christ? Well, I'd love to sit down, walk through more scripture with you and show you what God's word has to say. Pastor Luke would sit down and talk to you. We have elders, Dan, go talk to Dan. He would love to share with you what the gospel has to say. Find someone, share with them the gospel, and if they're like, I don't know what to say, then they'll bring you to one of us. That's fine too. And we'll talk to you about it. We'll pray with you. Secondly, for those of you who have already placed your faith in Christ, grab your Pi Cube card, <clears throat> if you have one, and write down the names of people who are far from God. What are you doing to reach them with the gospel? So at the end of our services, we like to challenge people, give them some time to reflect, a couple minutes. And so if you're not familiar with our Pi Cube card, we have uh, cards out there on the Welcome Center, Welcome Desk. And you can go out there and you can, you can take one. It's got four blanks on there. You can write somebody down or write some people down. Now, sometimes what I encourage people to do is take the top three, you can write names in there, leave the blank or the last one blank as the unknown, the stranger that you might meet, so you can share the gospel with them. Or you can write more blanks on there, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. But you, the idea behind this is that you would take those people and you would pray for them. And on the back, it talks about why it's Pi Cube, so it's pray, invest, invite, and involve. We want to pray for the people that are on that card. We want to invest in them. It takes some time to get to know them. Reach out to them. Then we want to invite them, maybe, to, maybe out to dinner or coffee. Uh, maybe it's to church. Maybe you can have them come over. And then invite them to share their story, and hopefully you'll be able to share your story with them about your faith in Christ. And if they come to a point where they, they do get involved in Christ, they put their faith in Christ, then we want to involve them. Involve them in the life and the body of Jesus Christ. So that's what's behind that, and that's why we have it. And I would encourage you to do it and ask yourself the question, what are you doing to reach people with the gospel? I have to ask myself that. I'm challenged by that. What am I doing to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If I truly believe there's a narrow gate, there's one gate, there's one way, and there are people today who are dying without Jesus Christ, I ought to be broken and humbled, and out there working hard to get the gospel to those people who don't know Christ, because that's the only option they have. So take some time to reflect upon that. Again, I invite you, if you would like to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, and leave here with that kind of confidence, yes, I'm in a relationship with Christ, please come and talk to me. And you can come while we're in these couple minutes here, you can come talk to me here anytime, throughout the week, whenever. If God continues to just beat on your heart, respond to him. Please respond to him. So take a couple minutes to reflect.